Now, if you'll, if you'll keep your Bibles open to John chapter 11, we'll be, we'll be taking a break from Genesis uh, for a week, and, and uh, the chairs will be back next week. Um, now, as I begin, I just thought I'd ask you a question. Now, do you like New Year's Eve celebrations? Um, I quite enjoy them. You, you've got the, the countdown to zero and the uh, sometimes singing of old slang sign, although I'm not sure if that happens much here. Um, and uh, you've got the New Year's resolutions, although there's not really much point in doing those. Um, now, a particularly memorable one for me was on the eve of the year 2000. Um, as many of you know, I, I come from Sydney, and... Uh, Every New Year's Eve, the city of Sydney puts on a spectacular fireworks show at the Sydney Harbour. And so uh, that year, a group of friends and I decided that uh, we would like to uh, go, out, uh, go out to the Sydney Harbour early in the morning and to camp out there to reserve for ourselves a front row view of the fireworks. And so we went there at about 7am and we waited eagerly for, for pretty much the whole day in the hot sun. Now, it was an exciting day for us. Um, we looked forward to this new year. It was, a, it was a particularly special new year. I mean, for us as Sydney people, um, we were looking forward to the Sydney Olympics. Um, and for me, being a software developer, actually, I'm not sure if anyone here would remember this, but there was the Y2K bug, which, um, which was... Uh, uh, something about dates, but uh, I was wondering whether any of the any major computer systems would come crashing and, and bring the whole world to a standstill. And well, it was the turn of the millennium. It was exciting. I thought I was witnessing history. So finally, at midnight, um, the fireworks came. It was spectacular. We we were all just fixed as we gazed at the at the shower of, of lights in the sky and, and the deafening sounds, and it all just felt like a dream. It was surreal. And towards the end of that show, uh, the climax came as, the, as uh, what happened was on the Sydney Harbour Bridge, that lit up the single word, eternity. Wasn't that exciting? It was a great year of hope for me. But all of that came crashing down uh, pretty much straight away after that. Um, because what happened was that there were two deaths uh, at the beginning of the year. One of them uh, happened almost immediately. Uh, it was one of the friends who was with me at, at, the, um, at the fireworks. He was, he was a young man. He was, about, he was in his early 30s. He'd just been married for less than two years. Um, and it, it happens that from a young age, he had had some sort of heart condition where it was a hole in his heart. And, um, but none of us knew this, and not even his, uh, not even his wife. And it turned out that um, he, his heart just couldn't function any longer. Um, the doctor basically told him that he had a few days to live. And just like that, he was gone. And the night that of the New Year's Eve celebrations, that, that was basically the last time I ever saw of him. Now, at the funeral, uh, the thing I remember most was watching as his uh, young wife entered into the church and walked down the aisle. Um, 
And that, that was supposed to happen the next 50 years together. And now she looked completely wrecked. She, she was crying uncontrollably, and along the way she just collapsed. Uh, she couldn't see life beyond this. It, she was too devastated. She couldn't see why something would happen like this. And for the next few months, she, she visited his grave each day in tears. It's times like this that remind us of how fragile life actually is. Now, today's passage revolves around a similar sort of tragedy. Um, it begins with Jesus being told about his friend Lazarus, who was ill. Um, Lazarus and his sisters um, seem to be close friends of Jesus. They're, the way they're introduced to us is um, they are uh, ones who are loved by Jesus. And Mary is also the one in the next chapter who, who will anoint Jesus with uh, expensive perfume and, and wipe his feet with her hair. So Jesus is told that Lazarus is ill. And in those days, with the lack of medical technology such as antibiotics, um, that probably meant they expected that he was going to die. And so the sisters sent a message specifically to Jesus, um, probably because they thought that Jesus could do something about it, such as to, to ask God to heal him. But when Jesus received the news, he does something strange. He seems a bit callous, actually. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't do anything. Um, and in verse 4, he just says that Lazarus won't die because of this illness. Though we know from the next part of the story that actually he does die. So why would Jesus do something like that? Now, I don't think that this was because he didn't know what would happen next, because he does go on to say something strange in, in verse 4 as well. He says, well, this illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, he doesn't really explain what he means here, but in hindsight from the rest of the story, we, we know that Lazarus is raised from the dead, and so we can interpret him to be saying, well, yes, Lazarus will die from this illness, though it won't ultimately be his end because we will see God's glory when, when he is raised from the dead. So, but Jesus does eventually go and see, see Lazarus. Um, though the trip was d- delayed for a couple of days. From verse 5 to 16, there is a bit of discussion between Jesus and the disciples but, um, when he declares that they are now going to go to Bethany to see, to see Lazarus. Of course, the disciples object because of the building tension between Jesus and, and the uh, Jewish authorities in Jerusalem. Um, Bethany was just a bit too close to there. So it was ex- it, the danger was to, to the extent that uh, Jesus' own life was at risk and also for the apostles since they were with, since they were with him. So, but Jesus does insist on going for two reasons. Uh, the first is where he talks about day and night, which I think is a roundabout way of saying that at the moment it's still safe for him to go um, because it's still within God's plans for him to, to remain safe and go around preaching. Um, and secondly, uh, it's because, uh, the second reason is because Lazarus has already died, um, so there's no need to wait any longer. So when Jesus arrives, Lazarus had already been buried in the tomb for, for four days, and he's confronted by each of the sisters in turn. Um, and as each sister meets him, they say, Lord, if, 
If you had been here, my brother would not have died. You can hear the sense of disappointment and regret, saying to themselves, if only this had happened. It's, it's almost as if they've been repeating in, in their minds. They must have been putting all of their hope in Jesus um, uh, and, and eagerly awaiting his arrival. But now that Lazarus was dead, well, all their hopes have been lost. Now, it's interesting to see how Jesus actually responds to Lazarus' death when he meets with Mary and as he goes to the tomb. In verse 33, and again in verse 38, he, he's described as being deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled. And then in verse 35, he, he wept. So, whereas at the beginning he didn't seem to show any emotion, um, at this point, he does show his compassion so Jesus, the Son of God, is actually uh, not distant and disconnected from, from our human sufferings, but he, is, he does sympathise with it, with us. But also, you might be a little bit puzzled as to why Jesus is so moved, especially since we know in a moment he's going to raise up Lazarus. So why don't you stop crying and just get on with it? Um, but... And I think some of the people there must have been thinking the same thing, because in verse 37, they say, if he could open my, a, a blind man's eyes, then couldn't he have kept this man from dying as well? But I think he may not have been moved so much by Lazarus' death in itself, but something else, because, well, the word he, he, where it says deeply moved um, there is something actually lost in the English, actually. Um, uh, there is a tone of intense agitation here. The, the original Greek word for this uh, was literally to snort with anger. Um, in other parts of the New Testament, the, the same word is used to, to refer to making a harsh rebuke to someone. So there is a sense in which, it, which Jesus is actually angry in this situation. And so what is Jesus so angry about? Well, it could be because of uh, the grief that he sees in the people, and especially in, in Mary um, and Martha, which leads him to be angry with the fact of death in itself. Um, and I guess we can relate to that. When, when someone dies, we, we, we just quite question, why God? Why does this happen? Now, or it could have been because um, of our sin and unbelief, um, being angry with us, uh, for rejecting God and bringing death upon ourselves. Well, the passage doesn't really explain why he was actually angry, uh, but at least we can determine that Jesus doesn't see that things are as they should be here. Um, death isn't a natural part of our world. Um, it wasn't a part of the goodness that God saw in creation at the beginning, but it was an alien intrusion that came later on. Sickness and death entered into our world because of, uh, of our sin. And since then it has brought disaster and pain to us and to our world. And it was right for Jesus to be angry with sin and death, um, especially considering what he had to do himself to overcome them. Um, in, in Luke's Gospel, it describes how Jesus was torn within himself as he prayed and asked God that he didn't have to go through, uh, through to his own death if only it was possible. And as he prayed, he, his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Jesus went, great, went through great agony at the cross 
not just because it was a painful physical death, but because he was taking on the sins of the world and the death he was dying was the death that we deserved. And so he died in our place and took the punishment that was reserved for us so that we may be set free from our death. Now in the next moment, Jesus would raise Lazarus from the dead. Um, It's interesting to consider why Jesus actually had to go through with this raising of of Lazarus um, and why he actually had to, why he actually waited for this opportunity opportunity to do it. I mean, theoretically, um, Jesus could have um, done all of this without even coming to Bethany. Um, And he could have done it without waiting for Lazarus to die. Um, He certainly showed that sort of power before. But previously, he explained that it was for God's glory so that the Son uh, Son of God may be glorified through it. How is Jesus to be glorified through this miracle? Well, it wasn't just that people would see that he had the power to raise someone from the dead, although it, that may have been part of it. But in verse 41, he explains that uh, what we should understand from this miracle, um, in, and it's in his prayer. Uh, in fact, his prayer seems like um, he's saying it just so he can explain to the crowd what he's doing. It says um, in verse 41, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. So the reason he did this miracle is that we may believe that Jesus was sent from God. But this sounds like it's as though the people need to see it for themselves with their own physical eyes before uh, they can believe in him. And that presents a particular problem for us as modern day Christians because, uh, because we don't see Jesus walking around the streets nowadays and doing miracles so that we can uh, then trust and believe in him because we've seen him. Ah, yes, he's, he's, a good, he's powerful, yeah. But, um, and in fact, Jesus does often acknowledge the inadequacy of of, his, of the miracles and of the people who follow him just because they have seen these miracles. So an example is in chapter 2 of, of John's Gospel, um, in verse 23. Um, if you wanted to turn to that, um, it said, Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, many believed in his name when they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, did not entrust him, uh, himself to them, because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man, for he himself knew what was in man. We're not to understand this miracle as proof that Jesus is from God just because they've seen him doing a miracle. It's proof because of what the miracle means. Um, to put it another way, you should notice also from, from that last passage we read that it doesn't use the word miracle to describe um, all these things that Jesus does. Um, the, the actual word is a sign. Signs are normally something that, that points to, to something. It signifies something. And so from here, the, um, our question is, what is it about the raising of Lazarus that points us to, to Jesus being from God? Or what is it that, that signifies to us that he is from God? 
Well, in order to help us understand that, let's go back to the dialogue between Jesus and Mary, back in chapter 11. Uh, And in verse 21, it said, Well, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. You see, when Jesus arrived, Martha, Martha seemed to think that, um, that Jesus could do something, but she wasn't sure exactly what yet, only that God would give Jesus whatever he would ask. But one thing is she could never imagine that Jesus would see Lazarus uh, being resurrected on that very day. So when she speaks of the resurrection, she's probably thinking about Old Testament teachings uh, from passages such as um, Daniel chapter 12. Um, and this is what it says. Um, you don't have to turn to it. It, is, um, it says, many, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. So Martha is talking about some big resurrection event sometime in the future which is probably an abstract idea for her at this very moment while she's grieving the loss of her brother. Whereas Jesus is talking about a resurrection that is a lot closer than she actually realises. In fact, Jesus has already spoken about the resurrection back in chapter 5 of John's Gospel. Um, So, in chapter 5, verse 25... Verse 25, it says, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at, the, at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So the raising of Lazarus wasn't just to show us that, uh, that Jesus has the power to raise someone from the dead. The significance is that he was doing what God said that he would be doing. Whereas in the Old Testament, God uh, said that he would bring in the resurrection. Jesus' raising of Lazarus shows us that he is the one who has come to fulfill what God said he would do, what God had promised. And therefore, Jesus must be that one who was sent from God. But when we come back to chapter 11, uh, in verse 25, Jesus gets even more specific about this. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. Now, think about what that actually means for a moment. How can a person be a resurrection event? I mean, well, he explains himself in the next two sentences in in two parts. Uh, One part is explaining how he is the resurrection, and the second part is uh, how he is the life. So, when he says that Jesus is, that he is the resurrection... 
He says, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And then in the next part, he explains how he is the life. Um, Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Where it says that you shall never die, it seems to be saying that we already have eternal life right now. Um, The Bible always maintains this paradox where on the one hand we have it, we have eternal life, and uh, and on the other hand we're still waiting for it. Um, So he does acknowledge when he talks about... uh, uh, about resurrection, that, uh, that we will die. But in another sense, we already have eternal life and we will never die. Um, well, to put it another way, while our mortal, body, mortal sinful bodies are wasting away in this physical world, uh, we are also living in heaven at the same time. Um, and one other thing is, when Jesus says that he is, he is the resurrection, he's saying that it can only be found in him. There's nowhere else you can find it. Um, it's because he himself had to die and then was raised again, having conquered death, so that he now has the authority to grant life. In other words, we can only be resurrected uh, because Jesus himself was resurrected. Uh, it's, it's kind of like saying that, well, when he went to the cross and died and then was raised again, the life that we receive when we believe is that life that he had when he raised, was raised himself. And so there is a sense in which we are united with Christ when we believe, um, such that he is our resurrection, because the life, his life is our life. Now, to know that we have the resurrection is, is liberating for us. Um, and I have two reasons here. Firstly, uh, we no longer have to worry about our lives in the here and now. Um, now, there are various worries that we face in our world today. We worry about whether we have enough food on the table. Um, enough money to feed ourselves, whether we've saved enough money for our retirement, perhaps, um, whether we will be successful and achieve something worthy in life, whether we'll find someone to be with, perhaps, whether we will find fulfilment. Um, and it's not just the worries, it's, it's also the pleasures of life, the, the desire for things and uh, wanting to possess this house or that car. Or, um, but if we believe in the resurrection and the life, then... Our hope isn't ultimately in the things of this world. We will be waiting for the day when it will come to its final fulfilment. And so in that sense, we are freed from these worries. Now, secondly, we don't have to worry about the future because it is already secured for us. Now, for those who don't believe in Jesus as the resurrection and the life, um, there is a lot of uncertainty concerning our future, or concerning their future, whether they... Whether they believe in purgatory, a state that's sort of in between heaven and hell, or they believe in reincarnation, or or they're really just uh, not thinking about it, um, they can never be sure of what will actually happen to them after they leave this world. I mean, the only thing they can really do is just to keep working and do as much as they can in the hope that 
that what they do is enough, that they've achieved enough. Or otherwise they'll just um, put it aside and, and not think about it, and, which is not really dealing with the problem either. But if we believe that it is only Jesus that we receive life, then we really don't have to worry about whether or not uh, we are good enough for God and whether we still face his judgment because he has already given us eternal life and it's not because of anything that makes us worthy. Uh, We simply believe in Jesus uh, and trust that he he is the one who will ensure that, uh, that we will make it to the end. And it's just what he promised. And that is liberating for us because we're now free to live in obedience to God. Um, Not because we think we'll be punished if we don't, but because that is the life that God has given us. Because we are looking forward to eternal life in heaven. That, That is the life that we'll be living for the rest of eternity. Now, In verse 26, after Jesus has declared that he is the resurrection and the life, he asks Martha a question. Do you believe this? And I think the author of John's Gospel intentionally puts this question there for us to pause and consider the question for ourselves. Do you believe this? In the aftermath of Lazarus' resurrection, we're told about how different people responded. In verse 45, it says that many of the Jews, therefore, who had come with Mary and had seen what he did, uh, believed in him, believed in Jesus. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Some of them believed. Others rejected Jesus. And those who rejected him went on to tell the Jewish authorities who who then went on to plan Jesus' death. But there is also one other thing. Um, When we we look at Martha's response, uh, she says, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Sounds like a really good answer. And from there we can say that she understood what Jesus was was saying to her at that point. Although, in verse 39, where Jesus tells the people to roll the stone away just before he was about to raise up Lazarus, Martha objects because of the smell of the corpse. And, And you wonder what was she thinking at that point, especially considering what Jesus had spoken to her about. And And Jesus' reply to her was to say, Well, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? She said she believed, but how she responded in this situation uh, didn't seem to reflect that she actually believed it. Is that us? Do we say we believe? We we can give all the right answers about what we believe in, and we're very orthodox in, in in our doctrine. Though at the same time, when it comes down to it, um, our actions don't really reflect that we do actually believe. Now, at the beginning, I spoke about my friend who died of a heart failure. At his funeral, the pastor recalled one of the last days he had spent with him as he was preparing to go. 
um, and this friend, he told uh, the pastor that um, he said, I'm not afraid to die because I know that I'll be with my Lord Jesus. And everyone of us who was there, who knew him well, uh, knew he was right. Um, he believed in Jesus as his Lord. And he showed it in his commitment in, his, in life and even in his death. And so my final question to you is, would you be confident to face death? Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the resurrection and the life? Thank you.